This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, entitled Jephthah the Historian. Feel free to check out all of our Shabbat messages at our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he puts on our website if you put your email in the little email subscribe box and... Uh, as always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw, and uh, his website is evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does And if you want, you can turn to Judges 10. We're going to be uh, in Judges 10. All right, so here's my blog. And um, believe it or not, these things take a long time to write. This took the longest. I couldn't even tell you how, but I probably, I don't know, probably 10 hours on, on this thing. And I know it doesn't seem like it. And anyway, so it's, it's entitled Cowboys and Indians and Doc Holiday. Um, Doc Holliday, if you're not familiar with it, was connected to the cowboy era in the late 1800s. A uh, very prominent figure. All right, so Cowboys and Indians and Doc Holliday. I truly don't think I'm in the minority when I wonder about what is going on in our country. Personally, I feel like truth, honesty, morality, politics, religion have all been quickly turned upside down and inside out with an agenda that is purposely vague and veiled. And somehow we're expected to accept all these changes as a new norm without question or access for discussion or disagreement. I do think we are struggling somewhat to make sense of what is going on and has been going on for some time now because we really don't know history. It seems like every generation lives within the context of their own times without considering how they got there and where they will be heading due to their choices and actions. We get locked into what is relatively important to us at the time. That's not necessarily a bad or wrong thing. However, we risk losing the ability to objectively look at the present in such a way as to make wise choices and decisions, not just based upon personal desire, but upon what is beneficial for now and the future. I hate to continually sound like the proverbial old guy complaining about the present while praising the past, my past. I actually try not to let my pres uh, sorry. I actually try not to let my perspective cloud an honest look at the present. I also try hard not to measure the present by the quote glorious past. The present must always be looked at in hindsight with an honest foresight toward the future. The past wasn't always glorious, and the future doesn't always fail to live up to the past. 
With that said, as the proverbial old guy, I honestly can't grasp the changes that have swept over the landscape of our country in my lifetime. Much of it is good. Inventions to enhance life, improvements in just about all areas, advancements in the medical arena. A lot of it is bad. The Bible is no longer America's guide. Morality is as close to demonic as possible. Every day we kill multitudes of unborn babies without thought or remorse. And we're supposed to accept and obey a government that stands behind, endorses, and promotes all this evil. Does this not cause you as a believer in Christ to tremble in fear? It does me. A lot has happened exponentially in a relatively short span of time. I've lived through black and white TV, AM, FM radio, rotary phones and operators, telephone books, typewriters, carbon paper, mimeograph machines, whiteout liquid paper, word processors, computers with gigantic floppies, flash bulb cameras, 45s, LPs, turntables, reel-to-reel players, 8-track players, cassette players, and video recorders. But now I have all of that or its equal sitting in my pocket on my iPhone. And as a proverbial old guy when I was growing up, I lived in a time when young impressionable boys could actually, without fear, go outside and play with their neighborhood friends. One of the things we played was cowboys and Indians. We didn't know certain terms were insensitive or pejorative, and Indian head nickels were still in circulation. We chose two leaders, and they take turns picking who would be on what side. And if you can actually believe it, there were those who got, quote, killed, and those who got to live. But here's what it did for us. We got to learn by way of personal experience what is now constantly being pushed down our throats, the inequities in life. It caused us to wonder, if we so desired to think about it, why the Indian was always a bad guy and why the cowboy was always a good guy. Nobody's always good and nobody's always bad. We also got to experience what it felt like to win and what it felt like to lose. When the Indians won, they felt good about their victory. When the cowboys won, they in turn felt good. But if one side constantly won, nobody felt good about that. And we also learned that life isn't always fair. We were allowed to sift through our emotions. Our emotions, good and bad, enabled us to look at ourselves as human beings. We learned firsthand how to treat others and how we wanted to be treated in return. And as you got older, it enabled you to look at history through your own eyes versus always accepting things, uh, versus always accepting how things were or were not presented. It was a process of learning objectively and subjectively. You actually started to form your own perspectives rather than just accept the perspectives as presented. This is sorely missing in our country now. It's either the accepted way or not at all. We are no longer able to have a discourse in which both parties can have differing views. And if you dare to challenge the new accepted norms, you get maligned, ostracized, and worse. Try having a civil discussion about the merits or non-merits of wearing masks. There's no room for discussion because, quote, science is now the God at whose feet we are expected, required to bow. The magic phrase to end all discussion is, the science says. 
I truly didn't know we had so many officials, politicians, businessmen, Bill Gates, that are expert scientists. And then I have a link. Scroll down, read. Here's when this pandemic ends and what happens next. You'll be glad you read this. While thinking about this, a verse came to mind. It's the Apostle Paul admonishing Timothy. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding provane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, 1 Timothy 6.20. I do believe the King James translators knew exactly what they were doing and why when they chose the word science. All right, so how does Doc Holliday fit into all this? I like reading about Western history. I read historical books and historical fiction novels about the cowboy area. I am drawn in particular to two figures that loom over that era, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. I am presently reading the first book in a series of three historical fiction novels on the life of Doc Holliday. The series is called Southern Sun, the Saga of Doc Holliday. The first book is entitled Inheritance and it was written by Victoria Wilcox. This first book is a fascinating and wonderful read. Very few books I read draw me into where I can actually visualize the events and hear the voices. It's been great. Well, one day while happily reading this book, I came across something that jarred me. I can't elaborate on the context. It would take too long. That being true, some of the impact will be lost, but I will try to highlight what arrested my attention. Briefly, here's the setting. This part is fact. Holiday from the Deep South goes to Dentist College in Pennsylvania. This part is a novel speaking. After he graduates, he comes home and is asked what it was like living in Yankee territory right on the heels of the Civil War. The fictional Holiday says, It was hard at first, he admitted, like living in a foreign country almost. They don't understand anything about us or what we were fighting for. They all talk about the emancipation of slaves like that's all the war was about. Keeping a slave isn't something worth dying for, exclamation point. But the right to choose what you will do, now that's a cause. cause. Seems like we've lost our own freedom when the government can tell us how we ought to live our lives. This book was written in 2013 with a view to the mindset of the times in which she writes about. It appears to me that for a long time now, we as a nation have been slowly losing our cause. Seems like we don't even know how or why our country got its birth. If John Adams and, the found, and our founding fathers were alive today, they'd be thrown in jail. And you know why they'd be thrown in jail? Because they wouldn't just roll over and do what is so blatantly un-American. They would, as they did at our founding, stand and fight for what they believed in unto death. We don't seem to have that sort of character or belief any longer. And for those of us living in New Hampshire, we, for crying out loud, live in a state whose motto is live free or die. Well, we can't live free and we aren't allowed to die. One closing thought to consider. I feel compelled to remind us that historically our nation, sorry, I feel compelled to remind us that historically in our nation, the church slash God's people have always been at the forefront of the times fighting for truth and against evil. We have, as Doc Holliday alludes, lost our cause worth fighting for. The church, in handing over its reins to the government, has forfeited its very right to exist. 
We open the doors when our government says we can, and we keep them shut when the government tells us to. All without one word of opposition. Pathetic. We've lost, we've also lost, as a church, not only our cause, but our way. We're groping around like we don't know where we've come from or where we're heading. We do what the powers that be tell us to do. We no longer stand up and fight for what we're supposed to fight for. The Lord Jesus himself said he would build his church and that the gates of hell itself would not prevail against it. Demonic, hellish antagonism is to be expected. Opposition and persecution are to be the norm, not the exception. Doesn't seem like we really believe that anymore. Hell seems to be gaining the upper hand. Christ died for the church. He, in turn, expects us to fight for it. We are to resist all the forces which stand in opposition to the church and its divine mission. We are citizens of heaven first and America last. It's time we accept that and act accordingly. Now, go out and play, cowboys and Indians. You can't, can you? So, historically, this message connects to that blog because we need to know history, primarily our Bibles and Bible history, because the guy we're going to look at in a minute went to the history of his people and knew how to make decisions and what action to take because he could not be swayed by the false history that he was presented with. And because he knew the right biblical history, he took the right actions. All right, so this is titled Jephthah the Historian. In a little bit, we'll get to Judges 10, 6 to, uh, Judges 10, 6 to 1140. All right, so Jephthah, who is he? He's the ninth judge of Israel. He delivered the Israelites from 18 years of Ammonite oppression, and he judged Israel for six years. The main players in the narrative are the following. The Moabites and the Ammonites, this is so interesting how this works out. You know, the actions that we do in life and the decisions that we make that seem to have or may not have big ramifications for good or for ill at that moment, it's interesting how these ramifications play out. So, the main players in the narrative, you have the Moabites and the Ammonites. Anybody know where they come from? I'm not expecting you to know this. I'm probably going to tell you either, but maybe. Okay. The, Mo, uh, where I, the Moabites and the Ammonites were both descended from Lot. Well, how did that happen? His two daughters, right? I won't go into the history. That's in Genesis 19 if you want to read it. Another main player are the Amalekites. They were descended from the line of Esau, and they were continually Israelites' bitter enemy. That's in Genesis 36. All right, so the Amalekites are descended from the line of Esau. Esau was Jacob's twin brother, and he's the father of the Edomites. And Esau was the firstborn of Isaac. All right, so those are the main players. I'll just rehearse them. The Moabites and the Ammonites, both descended from Lot and his daughters. The Amalekites were descended from the line of Esau and were continually Israel's bitter enemy. And Esau was Jacob's twin brother and father of the Edomites. And Esau was the firstborn of Isaac. All right, now, 
we get into the narrative. I'm just going to give this to you, then we'll read the passage, and I'll give you my closing, and we'll be done. So hopefully I'm going to be shorter than usual. All right, so we find out that Jephthah was a son of a harlot, and he was hated by his brothers, and therefore he fled to the land of Tob, or Tob, however you say it. What's interesting is he's the son of a harlot, he has other sons by his wife, but Jephthah, uh, uh, his father's Gilead. Uh, his father has children by his wife, but Jephthah is born out of a relationship he has with a harlot. All right, so in essence, Jephthah shouldn't have been born. And I got to thinking, if, if this happened in the today's day and age, he'd probably be aborted. He'd probably be aborted. We wouldn't want this, didn't mean to happen this. Why should I have to bear this responsibility? It's my body. Yeah, we'll tell that to Jephthah. He's in the Bible now. He wasn't aborted. We're too cavalier about this stuff. So he's a son of a harlot. He's not aborted. He was hated by his brothers. They, they wanted to get rid of him. They didn't want him to be a part of the inheritance. So he flees to the land of Tob, wherever the heck that is, we don't know. While in Tob, vain men gathered to him, of which he transformed them into a group engaged in clandestine activities. All right? Eventually, he's called back to Gilead, the land of Gilead, and is asked to defend against and deliver them from their enemies. Recap. He's born of a harlot, has two brothers that don't want him around, don't want him to be a part of the inheritance. He flees to Tob. While he's there, these guys gather to him, and he seems to kind of rehabilitate them and make them useful, and they're engaged in some sort of clandestine activities, which probably prepares him to be the leader for what he's going to be doing. Eventually, he's called back to the land of Gilead. Gilead's his father, but the land's also called that as well. Eventually, he's called back. They reach out to him, hey, we need your help. And he's asked to defend against and deliver them from their enemies. This is so cool. I just love it. You can't, I mean, you can make this up, but I mean, this is just really cool history. All right, my main point. Maybe we should read it at this point. I was going to read this at a different point. Let's go ahead and read this passage, and I'll give you my main point. All right, so turn to Judges 10. We haven't prayed. Have we prayed? I don't think we've prayed. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would bless. Ask that you will help me as a responsible figure today to get across what I truly believe is from you. Not to blame you, but I, I come... Uh, thinking that, honestly, this is what I need to say and what I should say. And I ask that you just connect the dots, even if it's just one dot in somebody's mind today, in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right. All right, so let's read this. I'm just going to read through it. It starts at 10.6, and we'll read through 11. All right, so 10.6. And we're back in the same old pattern. God, you know, God delivers. They just go out and live for the devil and wonder why things go bad. Then they cry out, God help us, we're sorry. So this cycle goes on and on and on. So we're already into that cycle. Verse 6, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon. 
and the gods of the Philistines. I mean, if there's any other god around, they probably had them. And forsook the Lord and served him not, served not him. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel. Eighteen years all the children of Israel that were on the other side Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. Moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We've sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians? Now we're going back into history. Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the children of Ammon and from the Philistines? The Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the Maonites did oppress you. And ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet you've forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry unto your gods, which you've chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We've sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee, this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people and the princes of Gilead said to one another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Enter Jephthah. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. And he was a son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bore him sons. And his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come, be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Don't you hate me? And you expelled me out of my father's house. And why are you come unto me now when ye are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn against thee now that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us if we do not so according to thy words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now, we're going to get into the historical part here. And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying, 
What hast thou to do with me, that thou art come against me to fight in my land? And the king of the children of Ammon answered unto the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt from Arnon, even unto Jabbok, and unto Jordan. Now, therefore, restore those lands again peacefully. And Jephthah sent messengers again unto the uh, and then Jephthah sent messengers again unto the king of the children of Ammon. And he corrects the narrative here. And he said unto them, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. But when Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, then Israel sent messengers unto the king of Edom, saying, Let me, I pray thee, pass through the land. But the king of Ammon, uh, Edom would, uh, would not hearken thereto. And in like manner uh, they sent unto the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And Israel abode in Kadesh. Then they went along through the wilderness and compassed, went around the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and came by the east side of the land of Moab and pitched on the other side of Arnon, but came not within the border of Moab, for Arnon was the border of Moab. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, king of the Amorites, the king of Heshbon. And Israel said unto him, Let us pass, we pray thee, through thy land into my place. So Sihon Sihon trusted not Israel to pass through the coast, but Sihon gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they smote them. So, this is the truth. Israel possessed all the land of the Amorites, the inhabitants of that country. And they possessed all the coasts of the Amorites, from Arnon even unto Jabbok, and from the wilderness even unto Jordan. So, now the Lord God of Israel hath disposed the Amorites from before his people Israel, and should you possess it? Will not thou possess that which Chemosh thy God giveth thee to possess? So, whomsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them we will possess. And now art thou anything better than Balak, more history, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns, in, in Aror and her towns, and all the cities that be along the coast of Arnon, 300 years? Why, therefore, did ye not recover them within that time? In other words, you had 300 years. Why pick the time now? Wherefore, I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord judge, uh, uh, the Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the, uh, sorry, howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearken not unto the words of Jephthah, which he sent him. This is so good. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So, 
Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from uh, Aror, even till thou come to Minnith, even twenty cities, and unto the plains of the vineyards with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. <clears throat> and it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, for thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. I wish we at least had that amount of dedication. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth, for as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even unto the children of Ammon. I just have to stop and say, what a father and what a daughter. He evidently did something right to where he comes home and says, hey, I've made this vow. And she said, Dad, don't worry about it. Whatever you told God, I'm okay with. Do what you have to do. I, I just think it's her response. It's incredible. And 37, And she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the uh, daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite for four days, uh, four days in a year. All right, I'll briefly address this thing. Did he sacrifice his daughter or not? I kind of think what we have here is he was get this is me. He was given two options. When you come home, uh, the clean animals that you have right there abiding on your property, the first one of those uh, clean animals comes out, sacrifice it. Well, now his daughter comes out, and I think the contingency is now you're going to offer her to me as well, but he doesn't sacrifice her. She ends up being a virgin the rest of her life, and that became a custom to yearly bewail her virginity. So, no, I do not think he sacrificed her. I think the option was you come home, sacrifice the first thing that comes. Well, no unclean animal. She comes out. Well, he clearly knows he can't sacrifice her, but she becomes... A living testimony of the victory that God brought and the need to honor what you say you're going to do before God, even if it costs you and maybe those connected to you the, the ultimate price. We're not, see, we're not, we're not up for this sort of stuff. We'd be arguing with God. Well, God, why does my daughter? We have to get back to where we, we are men and women of principle that will, will do what the God of our faith tells us to do and trust Him. Now, I have a main point, and, and this is where I want to end this. So, what's my main point? The reason Jephthah did not get derailed early on in his decision-making process is that he knew his history. Remember, hey, you, this isn't your land. He said, wait a minute here. You're squeaking the narrative a little bit. Let me tell you what's really going on. And because he knew the truth and knew upon what foundation he stood, 
that the land was given to them by God Almighty. He was not going to hand it over, unlike Netanyahu that says, oh yeah, we'll just give more and we'll give more and we'll give more just to have peace. That's a great idea. Even though God said not to do that, we're going to do it anyway. This guy said, no, God gave us this land. You're twisting the narrative. Here's the truth. You want to fight? We're going to fight. We'll fight to the death. And I'm telling you ahead of time, you will lose because if your God was anything really great, this would have been settled by your God a long time ago. Hang on, my God is coming. You got a choice to make here. And they decide to go to war. It's just great stuff. So, he didn't get derailed early on in his decision-making process. He knew the history. He knew the truth. He knew his God was God. This land was there. He's not going to give it up. So he was decisive and took specific, deliberate action accordingly. He knew what action to take because, and here's my ultimate point. Folks, I think we're just too ignorant of our Bibles. I, I don't know how to say this. I really think we don't know as God's people what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to act, what we fight for, what we don't fight for, when we stand, when we don't stand, because we do not know our history. We do not know the historical patterns that came. This guy knew what to do because he knew what the biblical history was. He knew his Bible well enough that he could make the right decisions at the right time and take the right action. And he knew when the narrative was false because he knew the history. I don't think we live in a time anymore, and I'm making blanket statements, okay? I don't think we live in a time anymore where we as God's people, especially the men, can be as ignorant about the scriptures as we are if we're not doing something about it. How are we gonna know what God wants us to do in the midst of our country when it's going through stuff that is forcing upon us Stuff that goes against God and his word. If, in fact, it even does. So, if we expect to know what the heck we're supposed to do biblically, we need to know our Bible. The Bible, not the Constitution of America, is our supreme guideline and source of instruction and direction. We're all sitting around saying, oh, our Constitution, our Constitution, our Constitution. Okay, we live here. But we are citizens of heaven, folks. Paul tells us our citizenship is in heaven. It doesn't matter if you live in Africa, Russia, England, a good country, a bad country, a country, God bless America and all that stuff, or God is dead country. It doesn't matter where you live. God doesn't just buckle over because, oh, that's what they say. God still reigns. He still rules. And he sends out his spirit to control and to maneuver, oftentimes upon leaders, and they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing, but God sent the Spirit, just like he put the Spirit on Jephthah, to go. We're, we're entering into times, potentially. I know I'm the guy, I, I come and yell, and he makes you feel good. So this is the yell week, and you had two, uh, two weeks of the guy that makes you feel good. So uh, you're due. Please understand my heart. I'm not yelling because I'm mad. 
And I'm not always worked up because I'm always worked up for the sake of being worked up. But we're, can you, I think we can start to sense things are a little bit shifting. They're shifting. And we, as God's people, the heads of our homes, we don't know what to do. We keep looking for somebody somewhere to tell us something. Well, even as Prager said, we can't look to the churches anymore. You need to watch what Dennis Prager said. He is so distraught over the fact that the churches, what, how do you say, they just rolled over. He said the last bastion that he believed in was the church. He's Jewish. He said all the synagogues, the churches, they just shut the doors and rolled over. He said, who do you fear more, God or the government? He's just, you watch it, it's, it's sad. He was distraught. I've never seen him like this. The last bastion that he, as an unsaved Jew, believed in was us, the church. And he's like, church isn't standing. They're closing the doors. They're just rolling over like dominoes. He said they, they were just like dominoes. Why? We don't know what the heck we're supposed to do. We don't know our history. We don't know our Bibles. We don't even know the history of our country. It was the religious leaders in the church that were always at the forefront of fighting for truth and against evil. Now we're so tucked, stuck to the tar baby of the 501c3 and we owe so much money in our churches. We're afraid to preach the truth. And I don't even know if we would know what it is we're supposed to be preaching if it bit us in the rear end anymore. We don't know Moody. We don't know Spurgeon. We don't know Hudson Taylor. We don't know these dynamos of the faith that just... We don't even know Pilgrim's Progress and John Bunyan who went to jail for 12 years to write that book. Well, not to write it, but because he wouldn't take a license to preach. Wow. <laughs> okay, i got to be happy here somehow. Happy, 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 and spreading happiness. This is good, folks. Listen, we no longer can play at this. We have to know our Bibles so that we'll know what the proper action is. And the truth is, I think I'm so in earnest in this because all the years I was in the ministry, I was a part of the problem. It's my generation that just really dropped the ball. And so my heart plea is, guys, gals, kids, we need to know the Bible if we expect to know how to navigate these uncertain waters that we're facing really this way to this degree for the first time in our country. Are you going to take the vaccination? The vaccine's the next thing. I'm asking people. I drive still the school bus. I talk to ladies that have been in uh, the school system for 20 plus years and, and, and it just dawned on me. I didn't, this wasn't purposeful, but I'm sitting there thinking while I'm driving a couple weeks ago. It's like, when, do, when, when are we ever going to be done with this COVID? So I just posed a question to two, three different people that day. And they just like, hmm. When we get the vaccine, see, we're already pre-programmed to that. They already have it written out. I don't know if it's official. They won't mandate it, but you will not be able to go into public places if you don't have this new vaccine. Bill Gates wrote on his site, since then took it off, but he and Fauci said this next vaccine will only be good for three to six months max. It will probably only work to 30 to 40% of the population. And if it's going to work, 95% of the population has to have it for it to work. That's what they say. Global population, 3 billion. Woohoo! We're already the bad guys if we choose not to wear a mask. 
And we think we're going to stand up when it comes time to say, no, I won't take the vaccine. Look at where we are in Massachusetts, right? We're, right? It's, it's not good. Paul says that we're in a warfare. We're to be armed with the armor of God because we're in a fight. and We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight demonic forces that put all that they have out there to wreak havoc with the people of God and to bring them to milk toast. I've gone long enough, right? Sure. Let's pray. Father, somehow pull this together. I always feel bad every time I preach and finish. But it's coming, I know, and you know, my heart in this is, is not to just beat and yell and smack everybody upside the head because I'm, I'm preaching to me. And um, Father, help us to realize we'll find it in the Bible. We need to know this book. It's the only ground upon which we can legitimately stand. It's our... It's our body of faith it's 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 the written element of what we are supposed to live and die for it's the only authority we have to stand upon to make decisions as your people as citizens of heaven i'm glad we live in america it's a great country but it's bad very bad right now and the tentacles of its evil we are spreading throughout the world and this is not good this is just not good and Father, you know as I see it, I don't think there's going to be, there's no turning back from this, and I think we are in really big trouble. I don't care who's president. We're, we're done. It's over. We're gone. And so I, I think we're just on life support here, Father. Help us to realize the opportunity now that we have to be the light and the salt to shine in this world because people are honestly looking for answers. And if we have made known who we are in our faith in Christ, and, and they're going to want to come to us. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to let our light shine, to speak out for you, to, to bring forth the truth of the Word of God with a heart of love, but unapologetically to stand for the faith, as Paul said, and to stand, having done all, therefore, to stand and to fight and be clothed with your armor and to uphold the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation through him. So, Father, just uh, you will be done. Work in my heart if nobody else's. And thank you that you love me enough to just take me to the woodshed and beat the living daylights out of me. And please continue to do so. In Yeshua's name, amen. One thing I forgot to mention, we won't turn. Where do you think Jephthah shows up next? other than the immediate context. Hebrews 11. And what shall I speak of more of David and Samson and Jephthah? Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does Face on the mountain.